Hey, before we get into today's episode, if you are a musician and you are looking at releasing a single, maybe it's an EP, it could be an album, maybe you're doing it pretty soon, you need a distributor, look no further than DistroKid. It's what I use, it's what the Ritzy Kids use. I have all my songs up on DistroKid. DistroKid then sends those songs out to all of the uh, streaming platforms. So it does it all for you. Also, it's about 20 bucks a year, but I do have a link in the show notes today. If you click on that and create an account, you will get a bit of a discount. I think it's 7%. But I wouldn't tell you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I've got my songs on DistroKid. I've used a few of the others before. 20 bucks a year, I think, ends up being uh, one of the cheaper distributors out there. All right, let's get into today's episode. Let's go, boys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. Mm-hmm. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. I'm yeah, great. no, it was so, me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. <laughs> Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. So just Sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. Hope you're doing well. Guess what? Episode 50. How good is that? For a podcast where basically I get home from work, walk into the spare room, turn on a microphone and just say whatever I want. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed that we made it to 50. Obviously, every week we have a guest on here and we have a chat. But, uh, wow, 50 episodes. There's no cake. If there was, I'd be sharing it with you. This week, got a very special episode. Sarah Yaghi is coming on the show. She is a singer-songwriter. She's got a new single coming out this Friday. She sent it to me. I've had a listen. I've watched the music video. Impressive. A very good singer-songwriter. And this song, although it's very deep and it's dark and it's got quite a... um an emotional flavour to it. It's an impressive song. So I went through a catalogue, thoroughly enjoy it. Um, she's a great singer-songwriter and she's a great person. She's really lovely. We have a chat in this episode about, well, first and foremost, where she works. She works at a pretty cool place called Good Intent, which is like a PR agency for musos. But it's also their studios in Sydney where Fangs, which is uh, a band that we've had on this show before, they uh, they filmed their latest music video, and <laughs> basically Josh Cotrow, he uh, eats a hundred and whatever eggs. There's like 140 eggs or something in three minutes. Um, look, I don't know if it was exactly three minutes. I'm sure they just had the cameras rolling all day, but I don't want to spoil the Guinness World Records just in case they're listening. But <laughs> it's a really cool studio, as I could see in the uh, background of the Zoom while Sarah was having a chat with me, and uh, she filmed her music video at Good Intent as well pretty handy to be able to work somewhere where you can uh, where you can shoot your music videos as well. We uh, talk about this song that's coming out, Just Like Me, on Friday, Sarah's latest single, and the meaning behind it. I will uh, just say there is a trigger warning here. Uh, the song is about suicide, and you've got to remember those who are out there and are struggling, there is someone to talk to. Go to 131114. That is the lifeline number. If you are struggling, there is someone there who can help you. And we also talk about this huge tour she's doing. Like the next four months, she's going to be on tour, uh, which is crazy. It's 20 plus dates or something like that. So if you're in Australia and you listen to the podcast, you should be able to go and see her because she's going everywhere. Even though the cost of fuel is through the roof, 
Sarah's jumping in the van and heading on out. So go and check her out. But first, have a listen to this interview with her. She's, like I said, really lovely person, a really great chat and an incredible artist. Here's my interview with Sarah Yaki. Hello. Hey, how are you? Hi, good. How are you going today? I'm doing good. Uh, where are you? Are you at? Um... Good locos. Oh, yeah, it's cool. It's um, <laughs> it's a nice setting in the background, yeah. Thank you. Have you seen it before? Nah. There's the sack. <laughs> There's the back. <laughs> yeah. So what happens in that room? It pretty much is just where all like the music videos, photo shoots happen. Um, last week we had the uh, the week before actually where the Fangs boys come in and smash those eggs in that video. So this is the location that the world record was, you know, broken. <laughs> okay, look, we're going to talk about you in a second, but let's let's <laughs> let's talk about Fangs. That was hilarious. I saw that music video pop up and uh, I was laughing all the way through it. And even like it's gained some traction now. They were on TV yeah. this morning. Yeah, Nick and I tuned in. We were working in the office and I was like, we've got to tune in. And then there was like, I forget how many ads like TV generally has. So it was just like bang, bang, bang. And he was like, it's all right. A little bit more. Push through and push through these ads. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So behind you is the setting of, of many music videos because I know that Good Intent has a few artists. Um, did you do any of your stuff there as well? I did actually. So the music video for my single, Just Like Me, we pretty much turned this entire space into a Euphoria-esque video. So besides the bathroom scenes, the entire thing was shot there. Hang on. Are you playing pool in that music video? Mm-hmm. So that's that's behind you, not actually at a pub or something? No, we did the entire thing. So we got like stands, put all the fabric around it um, in the uh, PR space we've got a pool table and I was like we never use that they only play ping pong so I grabbed that I chucked that over there and changed the entire space so I think it's super versatile like how we did it and especially because everyone in that music video is between the ages of like 18 to 25 super yeah. young team so I think it was really great to see that creativity kind of like creating empty space into such a vibrant you know setting for a music video yeah, you had me fooled. I thought you were in a bar or something. <laughs> no. So uh, in that music video, how much of that is your your idea? Are you pointing the finger going, this is how I want it? I think with that video in particular, it was a very collaborative process. The music video has such a heavy story to it that is yeah. my own story. So I think finding a way to create my story in a digestible way was something that myself and like the directors Zoe really collaborated on along with um, Emily, who was on like arts, but everyone really derived the story from me. So wanting to create a setting where there was that showcase of, you know, a relationship that was just like enjoying themselves. And I think having a setting like that, we originally did want to have a pub and then the pub pulled out. So we were like, we're just going to make the pub. So there's a lot of that collaboration in it. And I think that although I'm definitely an artist who goes, this is what I want, this is how I see it. For something that's so heavy, I wanted to find a way to take my story and, you know, find a different way to represent it metaphorically. Just like made the song, it's uh, it's very catchy and it's about to come out. It's coming out in a couple of days' time. How's the feeling at the moment? It's good. I think that because I wrote it, excuse me, I wrote it last August, pretty soon after what the story was about. It was super cathartic and something that, I wrote it in about four to five hours, got in the studio with a really good friend, Yanni, and 
he was able to really bring it to life. The producer that I worked with, he mainly works in like neo soul music. So I think having myself who comes from quite a heavy pop background and having him who produced it from such a, you know, left of field background, let me really kind of find a different way to tell the story. So it's feeling really good. I think that this single in particular, I wanted to speak a lot about mental health and suicide prevention and make a really big deal about that. And I've been really lucky that although the single isn't out, I've had a lot of support. So myself and the people that have supported me, we all raised about it was a thousand dollars for Beyond Blue two weeks ago. So very all good. those things are just like leading up to this one song. So it's very, very special. It is a very uh, personal song for you. It's a it's a brave thing to do to release a song like this, um, but it needs to be done. Yeah, artists need to do that. Do you want to tell me a little bit about the song? It was after I watched a friend harm themselves in a manic episode. And I think for me, without getting into the details too much, I, at the time, was 22. The person that I was friends with was 32. So I it was 11 a.m. and going into a space, I didn't know what was happening before I went into it. So coming out of that, there's a lot that I should have known. I should have known, you know, to make the choice of do I go into that situation and watch that? Do I know what's happening so I can make a call from beyond, like behind the scenes rather than put myself in that. So watching that happen as it was happening and really dealing with that dynamic is what the song is about. And I think that there's a lot of music out there that talks about the recovery from that, the, the lows of getting into that space, but they don't really talk about what happens when you watch someone else that you care about and watch them do that and how that affects yourself in that process too. So that's what the song's about. When you witness something like that, is it for you songwriting that can sort of help you get through something as serious as that? Definitely. I think that when something like that happens, a lot of people handle it differently. And for myself, I very much went into like a shutdown space. I went into a, this is happening. We need to deal with like the crisis at hand. And then I went to work this, like the next day. I didn't really process it and my mind just went into keep going. And without songwriting, it could have just been buried there for, you know, who knows how long. Being able to write music and being able to use that as a form of expression helped me process that without, you know, burying it too far deep. You spoke about uh, raising money for Beyond Blue, which is really cool. Um, it's always good to see, you know, a positive out of you know something like this, something so serious and, and writing a song like this. You played a show on Friday, is that right? Saturday. Saturday. How did it go? It went really well. So we're at 80% capacity and nice. I premiered the music video, which was really special. And I kind of almost felt like I was doing like a year 10 presentation. I was like, here comes down the projector. And we're turning it on, but it was really, <laughs> it was really good, and it got such an amazing response. And the team that was behind the um, video was there as well. So I think doing that before the song came out was really special to me, and giving the people that were there a little insight into what's to come. I think just tied it off really well, and I've already got a bunch of people going. So it's Friday, and I'm like, yes this Friday, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it. I was thinking, um, Sarah's played this gig the week before she's releasing the the single but now that you say that you um you know you played the music video while you were there at that gig it is a different take on how you you do it all on release day but uh that's nice to be able to give your friends and your fans an opportunity for exclusivity i suppose 
Definitely. And I think when we're still in a climate that, you know, people are still trying to get out there, live music is still trying to get really like people still coming. I think there still is a, a decline in people coming to shows, especially in like winter months. So finding a way to really encourage people to get out there, support live music, you know, really just invest themselves in that. I think finding different ways outside the box to do that's really cool. And, you know, having that music video, I'm just making such a big deal about it beforehand because, you know, it's a massive thing, I think. And yeah. it was really special being able to premiere it. So thank you to Oxford Art Factory for letting me do that. So I was like, oh, it doesn't really happen too often. I think it can work. So they were happy with it. I'm sure there's people that might be listening that might take note of that and go, oh, okay, maybe <laughs> I'm going to drop the music video. I'll show some people the music video of the week before the single drops. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had to, to have a double take at how many shows you've got coming up. You've got 20 plus gigs that are coming up. You've got to be yeah. on the road for like three, four months. That's wild. <laughs> it's super wild. And I think that I'm so lucky because I've got a band who's super, super passionate about what I'm doing. So I've spread it across a couple of months because we're all still independent. We all still have got to work and I love my jobs. I'd rather not lose them by running away for a couple of months and doing gigs. <laughs> so I am going, yeah, so August till November and I go from New South Wales, Victoria, I've got two shows, Queensland, I've got one, potentially another one. And then I actually got one in WA, which was wow. a bit of a story behind that. I um, My keyboard player um, has been my best friend for years. And he always said to me, he's like, if Coldplay comes to Australia, we're going, we're going no matter what. And I was like, okay. And then I got the text going, they only are coming to WA. And I was like, looks like we're going. And I saw that. I was like, well, why don't we do a gig? So it isn't announced yet, but I've got a really cool like full band lineup of just, you know, myself and then three other WA acts. So super, nice. super excited to, you know, all of these cities that I'm going to, it's all local musicians I'm bringing on board. So I'm very excited. I haven't been to WA before. I'm like, yeah. oh. <laughs> you're taking the gig to the gig. So basically you're taking a gig over there so you can go and see a gig, but that's not the only reason. But, <laughs> but kind it was just a double whammy. It was, I had to. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. How um, how does this tour work? Sort of, are you going to headline every show? Are you going to let the local headline? Like, what's the deal? So for WA, I'm doing a co-headliner. Yeah. For um, there's a couple of like I think there's two or three duo shows, a little bit more of like an acoustic feel. Queensland and Victoria, both of those are headliners, and I've got really strong like supports for those. And then the New South Wales one, there's like maybe two to three co-headliners, but the the rest of them are all headliners. So. Wollongong, Newcastle, I'm like thinking on top of my head, I'm like doing it all. But <laughs> yeah, most of them are headliners, which is pretty insane to say out loud. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, uh, I don't know many with a with a 20 plus tour <laughs> coming up and uh, that must be so exciting. Uh, how long have you been doing the solo stuff for? I've been doing it for a couple of years now, but I think that especially with COVID in between it all, it took me a while to find the best way to represent my songwriting and create a sound around that. I'm super passionate about the fact that I think a, a song should still be as strong if you stripped away everything and just mm. had it on like a piano and the campfire test sitting around the campfire with a, with a, with a guitar. And if it sounds good that way, then you, you it should sound good with all the other nuts and bolts. Exactly. And I think that I've been doing that. I just didn't know the, the professional time for it. So thank you. Um, so it's I don't been know really how professional good. that is, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been doing it for a couple of years. I think that there's always a growth, though, which I'm really, really, really proud of in myself. I think that's always what I'm looking forward to. Really, I'm not trying to 
I'm just trying to be better than I was yesterday, uh, my craft. So six months ago, I wouldn't have imagined putting this all together because the tour I put together myself. So I, you know, being able to do that. And then the six months before that, I wouldn't have imagined like being able to do the music video the way I do it and think about that. So it's been a couple of years, but I'm at the point where I definitely feel like I know a stronger sense of who I am, my sound, and especially the representation I'm trying to do in my music about mental health, especially coming from such like a strong trauma background. I think that it's something I have taken a bit to figure out the best way to put it in my music because it had to feel natural. And the fact that I wasn't writing music about that meant that it wasn't ready, but now I'm really, you know, writing about that and writing about my background, like coming from like, I used to live quite out West and housing commission background, Lebanese family, like all this sort of stuff. I was in foster care for a couple of years and because I work so much, the stuff that you don't really see behind the scenes and, being able to share my story so other people in those situations can because growing up there was really no one, especially in like I lived in a couple of refuges and public housing and no one really gets the chance to do music and to be able to fight for it is something that's massive and, you know, being able to inspire other people to do that too is really big for me. That is great. And it is sad to think that, you know, a lot of people in those situations aren't able to um, to do what you're doing. Yeah. You strike me as someone who um, only writes a song if a song is needed to be written. Do you, do you sort of see where I am? Like, I feel like all of your yeah. songs, the ones I've listened to on Spotify and especially your new one coming out, they're all very personal. Definitely. I think that when I get at a piano and I write music, I've gotten really good at being able to kind of let go of, oh, that's a wrong note. Oh, that's the wrong key. Oh, and just let the story come first. I have a lot of friends that are musicians and they still struggle with the ability to let go when they write music. So I'm very lucky to be able to do that. And I think it's because I have such an emphasis on needing to write when it's right. Are you writing everything and releasing everything or are you only releasing a small minority of the songs that you end up writing in the in the end? I think I'm definitely releasing a small minority, but I also definitely think I get in the trap of going, let's just go into sessions. Let's just go in and produce things. Let's write things. And I get too ahead of myself and I'm like oh let's pull back let's bring it back to the piano so it's a bit of both it's a bit of there's always songs my voice memos are ridiculous I am an artist but I'm also extremely organized with like my google drive so it goes from like piles of really organized like written notes to piles of really organized but not organized google drive like files (laughs) (laughs) I reckon um there's not a lot of musos that are that organized though. It's just everywhere. Pieces of paper, there's voice memos here, there's recordings on a MacBook over there. Um, So I think even though you might think it's a little unorganized, I think you're very organized, especially compared to me, for example. (laughs) No, I just got to keep track of it all. I think that I definitely want to, again, that process of trying to just be better. I look at, you know, my drive and go, all right, let's do this. But also, I work six jobs, I write, I do music, I organize my band. It's definitely working out being an independent artist and getting all those skills and just practicing them. I'm not ever going to get it right. Growing up, you were saying, didn't have the best sort of pathway to where you are now. Was there ever a time where you that you thought, maybe I won't do it, maybe I'll throw it away? I think that that definitely did happen. I think especially because growing up there is a lot of like memory gaps. I definitely 
realized the older I got how much there was like in terms of zero to 10 I can remember a couple of things on one hand um, teenage years maybe if I really tried to think about it I could remember things on like two hands but I don't realize how big like I for me it's normal and I don't didn't realize that it wasn't for a while so I think the point where I was almost ready to give up music was definitely when I was trying to like leave home so I left home at 16 and I was living in a like a women's refuge in New South Wales and it was all girls between like 13 to 17 um I would have been 15 16 at the time and I was really ready to give it up I think it was because and as every 16 year old says they're like I'm very mature for my age I know what I'm doing but I really did feel like I knew what I was doing especially because I was quite an academic kid it was almost there that I was ready to give it up. But in that same space, that was when I decided that I wasn't because I remember there was one night, like I was in like one of the crisis rooms that they have. So they have like girls that stay there and they're just like a long-term stay. And because my one was quite a, what we're doing it now, it was a crisis room. And mm. I don't know what time it was, but I remember like waking up from like other girls waking me up. And this girl came in like through the refuge with like police on both her sides because she like snuck out and she was like 13 14 and all the other girls there they were like smoking going into really bad relationships they weren't there was no career like focus in that and I think it's because I grabbed onto music so so young because I had to um when I saw that I like that's when I also decided that I wasn't gonna stop doing it I'm only assuming because I've never been in a situation like that, but I'm sure it's very easy to go off the rails too. You could have gone the other way, but like you said, you had music and in a way it's a cliche, but it saves you. It definitely does. And I think that there was a lot of times that I was like falling back and forth off it. I think that there's no perfection in what I was going through. It was, I was falling back into bad habits too, especially when I turned 18 and being able to like, I was drinking. So I was like, well, this is great. And I was like, well, the way I'm handling this isn't great because I didn't have that like example to see. And I think it was a combination of music and I have really like little siblings as well. I've got a couple of half siblings. I've got a four-year-old half brother, nine-year-old half sister, and then a 10-year-old half brother who actually lives in foster care. So I think that while I was going off the rails, when they started being born, I was like, well, they, they look up to me so much and I need to be that role model for them at the same time. So I definitely do fall back and forth. I think that's just with trauma, it's definitely quite easy to not realize when things are triggered, but the ability to have music, to have my siblings. And now I've got such a big network of, you know, people that I work with, friends who can bring me back. And I think that with my music, I want there to be honesty about that. I think there's a lot of music that goes, everything's great. We're doing great. We're on the road to like getting better. And then there's a lot of music that goes, well, everything's going horribly. But that middle space, that mm. middle space in between where you're just kind of like dealing with that and living with that and the flaws and the, the, you know, the things that happen during that, I think I didn't, you know, discover a lot of music like that. And I kind of want to use my music to talk about the space in between. Just like me, it's coming out on Friday. What is the one thing you would like to happen on Friday? Do you want it to be a smash hit? Do you want <laughs> do you want um, you know, people to connect with it and and find their own way or find their own story throughout the song? What do you what are you hoping for on Friday? I think I definitely want people to connect to it and really have a look at the music video. It's there's a big story behind that and I think that I write quite visually so the visual representation of this song is super important and 
definitely let me know what you think about the song when it comes out too on Friday. Thank you so much for showing me the background of Good Intent. It's really cool. <laughs> I love knowing that's my dog. He's going off. He's a big boy. Uh, <laughs> I love uh, I love that the video is done there and um, it's a really special place. You work at Good Intent as well. Give everyone a refresher of sort of what Good Intent does. So Good Intent is a publicity and label services company that does music. So myself, my coworker Nick and a bunch of the other guys are, are super passionate and we are able to take artists' music and really put it out there and service it to radio, online, Triple J, all the likes of that. So I... I'm really lucky. I'm a musician. I also get to work as a music publicist and I do really love my job. So it's always surrounded by really passionate people. Passionate is the, uh, is the word I see when I talk to you guys. You guys are great. You're fantastic what you do. Really passionate about music. And uh, everyone I've spoken through Good Intent has been uh, really lovely like yourself. Thank but, you. yeah, I'm, I'm keen for Friday. I'm keen to see how it goes, even though, even though I'm one of the special ones who's already seen the video clip, who's already heard the song and knows all about it. It's going to be cool. Can't wait for Friday. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on the street press. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, there she is, Sarah Yankee. Go and check her out. A new song, Just Like Me, coming out this Friday. And uh, an enormous tour. (laughs) If you want to go and see, you definitely should be able to because uh, it looks like she's going right around Australia over the next four months, which is pretty cool to see. Um, Go to her website, sherryyarkey.com forward slash shows. You can find out where to get your tickets. uh, And you can go on there on Friday and listen to her new music. I will put the link in the show notes. All right, it's time for this. Yes, this is the part of the show where you can write on in. Go to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. You write it, I'll read it. Um, this week, a message. <laughs> a message from Brenton Leggett, who uh, listened to last week's episode, obviously had my band on, the Ritzy Kids. Uh, he says, hey, Sean, enjoyed hearing Andy and Scotty talk about the EP. Knowing you and Scotty for as long as I have and have seen you back in three days ago, I'm stoked for you guys and what you have achieved. I also feel I may have been one of those crowd members referenced regarding the <laughs> hotel show whoops p.s i have no proper training but i'm willing to learn the ritzy kids bass parts if need be well obviously yeah last week we had three quarters of the band on jared couldn't make it we've got a feeling he was a bit hungover um brenton's all fired up ready to take your job jared but hey your job's safe okay i can't do that to him brenton come on mate uh, and also, yeah, the reference to the Bridge Hotel show. So that was our debut gig uh, in September last year. <laughs> it was so wild. People were drinking from like midday, I think, on the coast. And then by the time they all got off the bus and were right in front of us, it was um, it was on. It was crazy. It was like um, a lot of fun, but it was a little bit like uh, – some of the animals got let out of <laughs> Taronga Zoo. But uh, thanks for writing in, Brenton. Don't forget, if you want to write a letter, write something in to me and I can read it out next week. Go to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. As for the Ritzy Kids, yeah, we dropped the EP last Friday. We've had an incredible response um, since. It's been nuts. Uh, we're getting a bunch of streams. We're getting a lot of love from our friends and our families. A few new people have jumped on board and are listening to the Ritzy Kids. So hello to you all. It's uh, it's hard to beat 
when a release comes out. There's nothing like the thrill of it. There's nothing that really compares um, when you release a song. So, well, this time we released seven. So if you want to go check it out, go to Spotify, search The Ritzy Kids, or you can find our stuff on theritzykids.com. All right, that'll do for this week. I want your ears, same place, same time, next week. Have a good week. Until then, ta-da. Ta-da.